Thanks to everyone who participated in the Worldwide CacheCon 2021, the first ever virtual worldwide geocaching conference. All contests are closed now. Hey, it doesn't mean you can't listen still. All right, back to the conference. Something. Yeah, I know. It looks rather vicious, but I'm not a pro. 
approaching that one. Oh, come on, Hans. We need to love that cat. Just go. Yeah. It's not such a big dog after all. Come on, poor excuse for a dog. Get out of my way. Boy, it's boring around here lately. Can't go to work. I need to do some geocaching. I'm going to call a couple friends and see if they can go geocaching with me. Ah, it's Bob Billy. Hey, Bob Billy. Hey, I was just wondering if you had some free time, we could do some geocaching. Yeah, nah, I don't think that'd be a good idea right now with the uh, coronavirus epidemic that's going on. So I might have to say no for right now. We'll have to do it some other time. Yeah, all right. I understand. You have a nice day. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. I got one last friend I can try. I'm gonna give him a call. Hey, Sandman, how you doing? You wanna do some geocaching? You do? Great, I'll be right over to pick you up. <laughs> wow, Mr. Sandman, you are a good geocatcher. I'm so glad you could come along and do some geocaching with me today. All my friends, they couldn't come because they were either on a lockdown or they had to get tested or something but I had a great time today I sure hope we can do this again sometime beef stick I tell you what if you ain't gonna eat it I am oops sorry that geocaching is a worldwide hobby and this COVID-19 pandemic has affected the world, there's no doubt about it. Geocaching as a whole had to adapt. Our hobby has the benefit of being naturally physically distanced, outdoors and healthy and active. Yet still, we all had to adjust to new laws and regulations. 
for the safety of ourselves and for our communities. We had to learn to trust and adhere to our regional health regulations, guidelines, and even our local reviewers who had to make some tough decisions. Everything from postponing live geocaching events, canceling mega events, to completely halting the publishing of all new geocache listings. But this is where our amazing hobby of geocaching could also shine. Being sure not to break any health regulations, any restrictions, it could still be possible to see friends from a distance, to go for a walk, for exercise, and to find geocaches. But with lingering concerns about the dangers of touching geocaches and being near crowds, there are still other ways to enjoy the adventure and exploration without touching anything. And that is Earth Caches, Virtuals, and Adventure Land. And the pandemic has brought out some really creative thinking, helping to bring out some new life to these experiences. Hi, I'm Jeff from Cache the Line, and now keep an eye open for the next hour to find out how you can win a chance to earn an Adventure Lab credit to make one of your own. Now let's dive in and find out how much the pandemic has affected this geocaching hobby of ours. So Earth Caches are one of the best touchless geocaching experiences we can enjoy. Uh, it takes us to some absolutely wonderful places. And here with me, right over there, is Gary Lewis, a.k.a. the GeoAware, the creator of Earth Caches. Uh, so hello, Gary. Hey, Jeff. Thank Thanks for inviting me. First off, since we have such a large worldwide audience, Undoubtedly, there are quite a lot of people watching who are new to the hobby. Uh, so can you give a little bit of an explanation about what an earth cache is and how, uh, how they differ from regular geocaches? So an earth cache is um, a special type of geocache that doesn't have a container. It is somewhat like a virtual geocache. The big difference is that it follows a theme, and the theme is that you are taken to a place to learn something about the planet. So when you visit an Earth cache, you're there to see something about the planet and have to do a logging task that shows that you have learned something about the planet while you're there. So it could be anything from uh, doing something like answering a question on a sign to uh, doing an actual task right. with your hands. Exactly. So, you know, you most of the time it, it is like, counting something or measuring something and we're not talking about stairs here we're talking about how big is the how big is the fossils that you can see or uh, estimate the size of the of the stone that's in front of you things like that but they're always related to something to do about learning about the planet most of them are related to straight geology things like like this picture behind me you know this is an amazing place it's got these big columnar basalt um 
sort of forming this waterfall. So you're there to learn something about it. And the logging task here might be how many sides are there on the largest column that you can find in the creek and how big is it across? So it, 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 they'll be related something to what you're learning about. You know, we really want people to have tasks that are not overly complex. So you don't have to have a degree in geology to visit an earth cache and enjoy it and, and be able to log it. So you also created the very first ge uh, earth cache, correct? Right. So back in uh, January, it was January the 10th, uh, 2004, my then seven-year-old daughter and I decided that we were going to create a cache on a headland in Australia that was in a national park. And we knew that we weren't able to place containers in the national park. So we created this experience where people went and visited this headland and they visited like three or four different places on the headland and learned something about what the rocks of that headland told us about what the environment was in the past. It happened to be a place that glaciers had been back in the Permian time and there were fossils. So we created this. We spoke to the people in the National Park about placing it. They were cool with it. So we placed it as a cache and we called it an earth cache. And at the same time, we were talking with the Groundspeak folks about creating this new cache type. So that first one was placed um, in 2004. Then we placed the two in Colorado because I was actually working in Colorado, although I was an Australian. Then I placed two more in Australia. And our plan was to have 500 within a year. They, they weren't owned by me. We just wanted other people to say, hey, this is cool. We'd like to create our own. We design guidelines with the ground speak people and along with some national park people as well because the national parks were really concerned at that stage about geocaches so we developed rules with them um, came up with rules that everyone was comfortable with placed that as i said we were hoping we would have 500 in the first year and we got over 1500 in the first year and then wow. earth caching then exploded from there. are any of those old ones initial ones still active and still being found um, EarthCache 1, and its code is, I wrote it down, is uh, GCHFT2. The very first one we placed is still active and people still visit. Here we have EarthCache 1, a simple geology there it is. wasp head. Yeah, you yeah. That how out. cool is that? Is that the oldest active geocache, uh, uh, EarthCache? It is, um, it is the first EarthCache that was ever created. Now, um, there will be people who say, oh, it isn't the oldest because some people had some virtual caches that they then converted to earth caches and they've been placed before. Earth cache one was the very, very first earth cache, then a couple in Colorado and then earth cache two. So earth cache two wasn't the second. It was more like the fourth, I think. But you can see photos. It's a really cool place. There's igneous intrusions and big joints and fossils and beer bottles, obviously. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, what is it that you actually do for a living or for fun? What, what led you to creating these earth, earth caches? So I'm a geologist by training and a school teacher by trade. And I got out of school teaching and worked, worked in geology education, both in Australia, where I set up an education unit for the, the National Geological Survey. Then I moved to the United States and worked for the Geological Society of America. And that's where earth caching was born there. Um, about five years ago, I left the Geological Society and um, uh, wanted to get a job closer to home, which was in Maine. I work for a not-for-profit in Maine. I run their sort of operations. But on the side, I run a geology education and outreach um, business where I run trips for people around the world to go and visit 
interesting places. Mostly have something to do with volcanoes. So we go to Hawaii, we go to Iceland, we go to Italy, but we also go to some other strange and wonderful places as well. We run those trips mainly for school teachers and college students. And then every five or six years, we run a trip specifically for geocaches. Um, and we're, the two places that we run trips to is to go geocaching on the active volcanoes in Hawaii, or we also run one to Iceland. Our next one is to Hawaii in January 2022. So COVID should be done and out and dusted by then. We had trips running for people in 2020 and 2019 that the 2020 uh, trips were all transferred through to 2021. We've still got them up there in 2021. It'll depend on what happens with vaccine rollout, whether they run or not. Um, mm. Then we've got uh, the 2022 ones that are already um, got people registered. People are desperate to get out and, um, and go and travel. And the one thing about our geo, et cetera, trips is, I, you know, I, I don't do it to make money. And therefore, the cost of the trip's really, really affordable. Um, you know, if you're going to travel to Hawaii and you're a geocacher, then you can come with me and have a week and all your accommodation and all your ground transport and all your breakfast. Most things are covered except your lunches and a couple of meals at night. Um, and you get guided around. We go caching. We go looking at volcanoes. Currently, one is erupting. So it's awesome. So, yeah, you've got a little of inf information about how to do this all safely during the pandemic as well. The last thing we ever want to do is put anybody at risk. Um, and being a scientist at heart, you know, I, I follow the science. We follow all the guidelines um, and we would never do anything that put people at risk. So the minute people realize that vaccines are coming and they'll be able to travel, those trips are going to feel like wildfire. In fact, the geocaching trip is, is already about half full of people. So They're yeah, definitely attractive. So you also led a team of geo-awares that were all around the globe. Can you describe this uh, special group of reviewers and how they handle earth caches compared to other geocaches? Sure. So after me being the only reviewer for like three years, um, we sat down with the geocaching folks and they came up with the idea of going and recruiting other volunteer reviewers. There were people who were uh, already geocache reviewers to look after earth caches and this team of geo awares they all have my name with letters after it like geo aware eu and geo aware um usa and hq and and etc and they're people from all around the world who also have a passion for geology and they became the special reviewers and they're fantastic people and they really help and guide people through to getting earth caches reviewed and published i'm sad that i am no longer active in that but sooner or later people retire and move on but i still in touch with a lot of them um we're friends on facebook and i'm really really proud of the legacy that they are continuing to leave to with earth caches because earth caches is how you learn about the earth when you're geocaching i think from what i know earth, earth cache reviews are much more strict than uh, general geocaches there's uh, permissions and a whole lot of hoops that people have to go through in order to get an earth cache published right and especially um one of the beautiful things about an earth cache is you can put an earth cache in a, inside a national park or a state park you must get permission to do so but because you're not leaving a container because you're taking people to places and basically doing interpretation for them 
a lot of national parks and state parks and provincial parks around the world have really taken on earth caching as a great way to sort of do more interpretation in their parks. Um, so there is a lot more involved, but also the people who go and visit your earth cache, they're not just signing a log and putting, you know, terrific, fine, thank you, um, and gone, you know. They, 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 they're really learning something. And so the experience they get is totally above and beyond what a person gets from an ordinary geocache. And that's what makes them really, really special. Especially when it's a location like that picture in your background. It's stunning. It's very rare. It's the sort of thing that uh, you really want to experience firsthand. Right. And why would you want to go there to find a container? Look, look, look what you're looking at. So let's learn something about what you're looking at, right? That's the whole process. I want to point this out. People ask a lot, well, why do I need to get permission? I'm not leaving a container behind. And it's about something really important that people don't understand. And that is a lot of places are protected by obscurity. And what I mean by that is they might be some amazing fossil site or archaeological site. And if people don't know about it, it's protected. The minute somebody goes and advertises that that fossil site is in a location and puts the latitude and longitude out, you'll have people there with with uh, picks and shovels digging the fossils up and the site gets destroyed. So the reason that we seek that people get permission from the landholders is to make sure that the landholder, whether it's a park and a state park or a, a, a provincial park, that they're not trying to protect that area through that level of of obscurity, that they keep people on trails and protect areas is really important to them. And that's why you you have to seek permission. Um, and in that way, we help the parks to not only uh, take people and interpret things that they don't have the time to have people write interpretation material. That's the first thing. And the second thing is we protect the places or help protect the places that they don't want people to go and visit. And it could be they want to protect it because it's really special, or it could also be because it's dangerous to go there. So I've got a quick trivia question for you. <laughs> With the whole pandemic yeah. thing last year, do you have any idea how many earth caches were published since March of 2020? I have, I have, I can't tell you that for the top of my head. I'm hoping that they didn't decrease in number because of the pandemic. And I'm hoping also that people had time to go and do the research and certainly a lot of the parks had a little more time to actually go through and do permissions because they weren't having to deal with, to start with, massive crowds. As it turned out, crowds increased in parks by the end of the pandemic, especially during summer, because people just wanted to get out of home. And national parks, certainly in the United States, had huge numbers. Since March 1st of 2020, the number of new caches that were published is just over 2,000. Not quite sure how that compares to the average rate of EarthCache publishes, but 2,000 new EarthCache publishes since the pandemic started. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. The last time I sat and did statistics, which is now maybe a couple of years old, over 6 million people have visited EarthCaches, and there are EarthCaches on every single continent, which is really remarkable that we have EarthCaches in Antarctica. But EarthCaches on every single continent, and there are some parts of the world where you look at just the earth caches alone, Germany in particular. If you look at a map of Germany and just map the earth caches, you cannot see Germany for earth cache symbols. Um, really quite remarkable. Well, and that's another benefit of them is that they're not physical, so there's no proximity concerns. 
as, like there are with physical geocaches? There's not, um, but there are there are some topics that in um, earth caches that you really will struggle to get approved. Um, for example, in North America, um, certainly in the northern states, there's a whole pile of evidence of glacial activity, large boulders that have been dragged down and dropped, brought from Canada and dropped into the United States without a passport. And we made a decision uh, quite a few years ago that, you know, we, we don't want every single one of those turned into an earth cache because I, I probably got 10,000 of them in my backyard. So um, getting one of those glacial erratic boulders published as an earth cache is probably really difficult. Likewise, waterfalls, unless there's some geologic process like the one behind me, um, the waterfall is is a secondary thing, but lots of people were publishing waterfalls. What type of waterfall? How, how high was it? So we're looking for things that are a little more unique and teach something about the geology on site rather than just, is it a waterfall? Um, is it a glacial valley? But that doesn't mean that people who are new at developing earth caches couldn't find something really close to them to turn into an earth cache. You don't need a geology degree to do it. You just need to find that find something that's unusual, go online and find out a little bit about it, write some notes and put it in. Make sure you've got a logging task that's related to what people are looking at. And that kind of ties into my next question, question, which is what advice would you give to somebody who's looking to publish an earth cache? That's great. First thing I would really do is have a look at other earth caches that have been published around you and see the sort of theme and the level of material that they've provided and try to sort of duplicate the same sort of level. Um, make sure that your idea hasn't been done like within the, the geocache, uh, sorry, the earth caches that are sort of close by because I think it's really important that you're not trying to duplicate something that other people have done. Um, but, for example, if you wanted to do something about a cool waterfall and nobody else had done anything about a waterfall, I'd, I'd give it a go. As long as you were talking about the geology and not just the waterfall shape, have a really good logging task that isn't counting the number of stairs or isn't just reading something from a sign. It actually has people observing something um, and making a comment about what they're observing. So you... you Come up with an idea of what you want to show people and then have a logging task that proves that they've seen what you wanted them to look at and have learned something from it. That's that's mm. the key. And then work with your GeoAware EarthCache reviewer. Um, work with them. Go backwards and forwards with them to get it published. They're always delightful and helpful with people to get things published. So is there a place where people can go to research more about earth caches and, and how, to, uh, how to publish them, create them, that sort of thing? Sure. If you go to earthcache.org, which is a site that's administered by the Geological Society of America, you'll find more information in there about setting up an earth cache and how to find one, um, how to get one published. But um, there's also ways to be rewarded for getting involved in earth caching through earthcache.org so there's a couple of different um, rewards you can get for collecting and publishing earth caches um, the earth cache masters program and um, is is one of those so for example you find three earth caches you can become a bronze master and you get a you get an icon that you can um, add to your profiles and things like that earthcache.org 
really will set you in the right direction and it's a way to build your community through there. And if you are curious more about the technicalities of publishing, then uh, there is an article in the uh, the help center on geocaching.com for right. that earth cache type. And they should link to a number of resources that should help with uh, with those little details as well. And as always, if you have any questions, you can always ask your local reviewer or EarthCash reviewer, and then they'll be happy to help. So do you have any final thoughts for people about uh, handling EarthCaches during the pandemic? You know, as a scientist, I just say to people, you know, follow what the science is saying, whatever type of caching you're doing. Please wear your mask if you're around any people, um, socially distance. Um, if you are caching with a small group of people, you know, wear your mask at all the time and socially distance. Let's stop the spread of this pandemic so we can all go out and geocache to our heart's content and not be worried. And it and also, travel and travel. right, it, it starts with us. You know, it really does. And we should be, as outdoor people who love going out and discovering things and showing people how passionate we are about being outdoors, whether it's an earth cache or a traditional or a puzzle or whatever it is, Let's all do the right thing and get our world reopened. Totally agreed. Thank you so much, Gary, GeoAware, for joining us today. And I hope you have excellent geocaching adventures. Thanks. Hopefully we'll see some people in Hawaii with us. Oh, oh, man, that would be so great. (laughs) Hey, Mr. Neal. Hey, Bob, Billy. What's up? What do you say? Can I use your power tools to do some work? Yeah, I don't care. Go ahead. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Neal. Thank you. What? Power tools? Bob Billy, wait a second. Now I can get after it and make me some gadget caches during this dead blame pandemic. Well, time to get busy. Well, as us professional woodworkers say, we made some sawdust today, and plenty of it. I sure am proud of this gadget catch. Boy, take a look at that. Nice and bright red, green roof. Look at that silo and the little cow. I'm really proud of the work I did on this. Okay, gadget cache, a lot of maintenance. Oh, that reminds me. Dang Bob Billy put her over my cash. I wonder how he's doing with that. Better call him. Oh, there's the telephone. Hello, this is Bob Billy. Hello, Bob Billy. This is RDC. Uh, you remember me? Uh, you call me Tricky Bobby quite often. Oh, Tricky Bobby. How you doing, Mr. Bobby? Good, good. Just out checking on some of my caches, and it reminded me that... You borrowed my red barn. I was wondering how you're doing on that. Are you done with that yet? Yeah, I guess I am. Okay, you going to get it back to me, or? I'll make sure I get that back to you here in the next day or two. All righty. Looking forward to seeing you then. All right. We'll see you, Mr. Tricky Bobby. There, you have a good day. Bye. 
Oh, great. Got to give that back. What am I supposed to do with this? What China knew in the opening weeks of the COVID-19 pandemic, but did COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. The two illnesses are caused by different viruses. In the past 12 months, our world has been turned upside down. Early in 2020, we had a great road trip down into the deep south of the United States with friends stopping at some really great geocaches. We had great plans for geo trips for the rest of the year. We were planning trips to Washington, D.C., New York, West Virginia, California, Ohio, and of course Seattle and Abbotsford for the geo Woodstock, but then the border closed. So that left us stranded in Ontario, but then we remembered a commercial from the 1980s. So that was it. Ontario was now ours to discover. So, despite the pandemic, we did manage to get out and do some geocaching. After all, that's our exercise. We did make sure that we distance ourselves from people. We took precautions when necessary and also wore a mask when it was required. Travel was still allowed in the province through the summer and fall. So we took advantage of that. But we were missing one thing. We wanted to continue on our Earth Cache Fizzy. Our what? Our Earth Cache Fizzy. So everyone is aware of the different grids that you can complete. You know, the Fizzy Grid, the Jasmer, your Calendar Grid, and the Place Date Grid. We have all those filled, so we were working on others. And the one that intrigued us the most was completing a Fizzy Grid completely made up of just Earth Caches. Now, in order to complete that, we wanted to go to California uh, flying into San Francisco and working our way to Reno where we could complete the entire grid within a week's vacation there. But with the border closed, that was not possible. So we looked towards Canada. Where could we go to complete this? We couldn't complete it, but we could take a big, big chunk out of it if we were able to go to Quebec.
So into Quebec we made it, and we were able to add five of our target Earth caches to the trip. We were able to log a 1.5 on an island in the St. Lawrence, a 4 1.5 on the Quebec Bridge, a 7 location 5 2.5, and an 11 location 5.4, and a 4 location 5.3 on the south shore of the St. Lawrence. Ticking off 5 more squares, we now only have 5 squares left to fill our 81 square Earth Cache Fizzy. If you'd like to check your Fizzy status for other types of geocaches, go to Project GC to your profile stats. Scroll down until you get to the Fizzy Grid. The grid starts out with showing all types of finds, but you can change that to a traditional Fizzy, Multis, Mystery, Letterbox, Where I Go, and Earth Cache Fizzies. And if you're curious, you can even check for a virtual fizzy. So there you go, friends. There's all kinds of fizzy fun that you can figure out for yourself. We've almost got that fizzy done for Earth Caches, and there's two caches left in Canada, one on the west coast, one on the east, but in order for us to fill the grid entirely, we're going to have to travel outside of Canada. And this pandemic won't last forever. So, mask up and get out there and geocache. Stay safe, everyone. Where will geocaching take you? Geocaching is a language of location. Every geocache, every adventure we go on tells a story. This hobby's been around for over 20 years now, and with smartphones a ubiquitous tool in most societies, and mobile games being enormously popular, we use them for so much more than just locating containers at GPS coordinates. Recently, Adventure Labs have come to the forefront as another means for geocachers to share an experience, to tell a story, offer discovery, all within the comfort of our own phone. Like geocaches, an Adventure Lab is very much like a virtual geocache. It takes you to a location where you may perform a task 
or learn something like about some mind-bending art or the fascinating history of a location or maybe even helping an alien fix his crashed ship so he can return home. All this in order to answer a question and earn that successful accomplishment. Who knows what an Adventure Lab Waypoint may ask of you. So let's chat a bit more about them and with a team that is creating a unified experience that spans a nation. It's the Lincoln Highway Adventure Lab series. Welcome to Ian and Kyle. Thanks for coming on to chat about this project. Thanks for having us. How are you? Thank you. Could you give us a quick sum summary of what the Lincoln Highway Adventure Lab project is? All right. The, uh, the series is a collection of, obviously, Adventure Labs, and they're all based around the Lincoln Highway route. Uh, they span from New York City all the way out to San Francisco, California. And at my last count, it looks like we're going to end up with about 106 Adventure Labs in the series. Uh, most of them, I'd say the majority of them are 10 stages each. So we're looking at probably close to 900 individual stages all across the United States. They all focus on the history of the Lincoln Highway. Uh, a lot of the things you'll, you'll see are items with the Lincoln Highway logo on them and as well as just a bunch of historical sites, stuff like that, that were that were standing at the time of the Lincoln Highway when it was built back in 1913. There's a few that are like super cool, like landmarks along the way too. Um, I know one of the ones in Illinois, uh, right, Kyle, had a whole bunch of murals dedicated to the highway, if I got yeah. that. Um, and there's another similar one in Ohio that has a whole bunch of murals and stuff like that. So so how did the idea for creating this series start? What was the inspiration? Uh, be honest, I, I, I got an Adventure Lab credit and I didn't know what to do with it. And uh, there's a local park near my house and they have a, a Lincoln Highway. Uh, they call it auto, auto camping shelter, which is where people who would travel the highway would stay overnight. It was kind of like a free motel, but it's an outdoor camping site. I was poking around the, the shelter and realized that there's also a, a gazebo, which Illinois has uh, 16 gazebos dedicated to the to Lincoln Highway. So with these two being in close proximity with each other, uh, I decided just to kind of see if I could start, start something on that. And when I when I actually sat down and dug into it, I found out the Lincoln Highway was actually three over 3,000 miles long. And uh, when I pulled up the Lincoln Highway's Association's map, there's just thousands of items related to the Lincoln Highway that I figured we could start, see if we could see how far this thing could go. Uh, we started off with 11 uh, Adventure Labs in Illinois. I was going into different Facebook pages looking for people that wanted to join. And at first it was kind of slow, not many people wanted to, to jump in on it, but once it started taking off, it was just it just went like wildfire. And now today we're in 14 states and uh, 106 labs. And the route was, it was uh, revised a few different times, so it takes different paths. We, we pretty much do have the entire route covered, even with those revisions. So it's, it's well over 3,000 miles. How many caches now are active on the Lincoln Highway, did you say? Uh, as of today, it looks like we're right about 86 that are live. And we've got right about 20 more to go. So we'll end up with 106, pretty close to it. And that's anywhere from how many uh, stages per lab? 
the the minimum was five and, and the majority are about 10. The thing that we tried to try to do is keep everything as close to the route as possible. So if someone is traveling the route, they're going to travel the actual route that was there in 1913. Now you have a website that uh, shows the actual route, the highway, uh, highway route from west to east. This is uh, this isn't a website that you created. This is the Lincoln Highway Association. Yeah, correct. That's the actual Lincoln Highway Association's map. And over on the right side, if you uh, click on points of interest button, you can toggle on and off the points of interest and it'll it'll populate the map where you can zoom in. So a lot of, a lot of those items we use to help plan our labs. Yeah, so this was all populated by them and you're using this as a guide. Correct. On good ideas for uh, adventure lab locations. Mm -hmm. So that isn't the map of all of the adventure labs, but you do have a map of the adventure labs. These are all the active current adventure labs. That's correct. These are the individual labs or the locations within the sets? Those are all the individual individual locations that people can visit. You can use the, the filter on the left, if I'm not mistaken, and you can turn the stages off so you can see just the the main adventure. And I think it's, it's set up with both. So that right there, those are the individual adventures. And then by turning the stages on, you can see how many stages there are that cover the entire route too yeah so if you're if anybody's ever looking for a road trip here are a whole lot of places to visit <laughs> so lincolnhighwayassociation.org they seem to have a whole lot of information about the highway itself uh partnerships and uh, history educational stuff you can join your local chapter if you're so inclined <laughs> <laughs> Tons of information there, a lot of history. It's super cool. It's a great way to, to retain that for uh, for future generations. It's yeah. Each each state has their own chapter where they they'll do yearly events and stuff, and uh, they'll go out and preserve the signs and you know maintain the roads and stuff that they have in in their state. Kind of kind of help to preserve the history. So now, how many people have Adventure Labs on this highway? I think we're gonna end up. When it's done, um, we're going to have close to 95 individual Adventure Lab cash owners that have participated. Do you have uh, a certain set of guidelines or instructions for how these particular uh, Adventure Labs should be structured? So we, we kept it pretty basic. Uh, the one thing that we're trying to do is keep it uh, created non-sequential. So that way people can, mm -hmm. can do it from either direction of travel. We're just trying to highlight the history of the route, look for signs, uh, markers, um, murals, stuff like that, that are focusing on the highway. And then secondly, they're looking for other interesting items that are on the route. So anyone who's traveling this route, we just want to show them, you know, give them a good time and show them interesting things. As a special treat, we've been given the opportunity to give one Adventure Lab credit to somebody who's attending this worldwide CashCon event. And here's how to enter to win it. This weekend only, send an email to wwcc at cashtheline.net and be sure to include your geocaching username plus the correct answer to the following question and you can win. And that question is up to how many locations can a standard adventure lab contain to win you must be a geocaching premium member in good standing and a qualifying winner will be chosen by geocaching hq 
and we'll announce the winner on an upcoming episode of Geocache Talk. Now, adventures can also be created by anyone who opts in to be selected to receive one of these credits at the URL shown below, geocaching.com slash play slash request slash adventure lab. Or you can request one from within the Adventures mobile app. Users do have to meet the minimum qualification in order for a chance to receive one of these credits. Good luck. Uh, you actually made images for the various states for us to use, Kyle, right? Yeah. So, yeah. like, we, we actually have a really cool, like, state-specific Lincoln Highway image for each state. Um, so that's one way to kind of tell which ones are part of this. And then um, a lot of them will also have uh, Lincoln Highway somewhere in the title. Um, that's a pretty common feature across most of the country at this point. Um, most of them say, like, Lincoln Highway blank to blank or whatever city it's in so the naming's kind of similar the the images the you know the banner images all kind of similar so i think the image is like my favorite part of the whole thing i think that was cool <laughs> you got t-shirts all set up with the different states the shapes of the states our friend sean at art at crafted came up with those and he's got those for sale on his uh facebook page and his website and i, th I believe he's got every every state available new york new jersey west virginia pennsylvania ohio indiana illinois iowa nebraska colorado wyoming utah nevada california canadian <laughs> <laughs> are you um are going to going to be ending off the series at some point or will you be continuing to add over time uh i think i think we will probably reach an end point right now we're at 106 labs i think we could probably support 110 115 probably at the most uh, we do have it pretty well covered from from start to finish. There's a few gaps here and there, but not nothing really that uh, could support another lab. Do you think the pandemic has uh, had an effect on people's interest in doing these or creating them? Yeah, definitely. I was going to say that was some of the appeal of the adventures this entire pandemic time was that, um, you know, I mean, unfortunately, people had a lot of time to be by themselves. Um, so it let them be creative and it let them go out and do these non-physical away from other people kind of things right so they weren't you know looking for containers they weren't placing containers or anything like that it's just all hey look at this cool sign you know um but like i know that like the people that i worked with here in ohio uh to create a couple of these stages one of them i don't know how she had time she's in, involved in nursing and the other um was off work at the time because of everything that was going on so yeah, like I think that played a huge part in being able to get so much of this done. Last year, there was the addition of allowing people to create physical bonus bonus geocaches for Adventure Labs. Are there anybody? Mm -hmm. Is there anybody who's created Adventure Labs on this highway who have also included physical geocaches to find? Yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't have the exact number. I would say probably less than half have created bonus caches, but there are there are a bunch of bonus caches out there that people could find. How much of a detour would put people have to do in some places off yeah. the highway to complete Adventure Labs or find these bonus caches? Yeah, and that, that's kind of the reason why we're trying to keep uh, everything as close to the route as possible. Because if, if someone were to do it, you know, start to finish, I mean, it would take forever. But if they're going to do multiple in a day, we want people going, you know, 20, 30 minutes out of their way just to find a bonus cache. So we're trying to keep them on the route. I have one one stop on mine to, to go back to your other question that it's like 
I want to say like two miles north of the route that's coming through town. Um, but it takes you to the cemetery where um, a really important person in the Lincoln Highway Association is buried uh, to, to the cemetery there. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll bend it a little bit. It'll go like a mile north. And it's actually on that Lincoln Highway Association map. So I felt okay about it. I'm a big history nerd. So if you're, if you're a history person, like this is kind of the thing that I like, this is what I love, right? Like I want to see things that were around a hundred plus years ago. We're talking about 1913 when, when a lot of this was put together, right? Um, there's there's stretches of of the road that are still the original brick paving from when that was put together in certain places there's mm-hmm. um there's the the pillar markers with the bronze or brass medallions that are on them and stuff like that and like i i love that kind of stuff so this is this is right up my alley and uh i mean that's that there you go there's my shameless plug for all you people who like history come come check them out they're awesome <laughs> Do you have any future plans for the series? Like, uh, as we all know right now, there's very little information about Adventure Labs other than locations, really. So do you have plans for, like, statistics? You can imagine there's going to be people who want to complete the entire series just to be able to say, I've done the whole thing. (laughs) Uh, It would be nice to try to figure something out like that. Um, Right now, I'm not sure what we can do. Maybe Project GC would come out with something. Um, If there's a search feature where people can look up which labs they've completed. Um, something like that would be nice in the future. Just right now, I'm not sure. So is there any particular location people can go to or uh, connect with people to find out more about the series, about the highway? Yeah, uh, We've got a, a Facebook page. Uh, it's the Lincoln Highway Adventure Lab series. So if they just search for that exact title, it'll, it'll pop up on Facebook. Post photos on there. Uh, when I go out, when I do any of the Adventure Labs, I'll post photos on there. And if anyone wants any more information, they can send me a message through there or on my under, under the geocaching app under my name, KC underscore 11. All these links that we've shown, all the, the maps and whatnot, the websites, they'll be available uh, easily found at GC8MKGF, is it? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, that's the uh, bonus cache listing. So we'll put some information on there with different links. Uh, they can find out more information well, that is the adventure, the uh, Lincoln Highway Adventure Lab series, uh, perfect for uh, right now for people in the U.S. <laughs> you can travel as much of that highway as you're able to and find these adventure labs and not have to worry about touching of objects and everything. Um, so look into that. It's the Adventure Lab or the Adventures app. Uh, that's the name of it that you can find on your smartphone in your store and uh, go searching down that Lincoln Highway. This is a really good long road trip that you could do, especially during this uh, pandemic. And if you're not in the US, you can perhaps use this as inspiration. See if you can work with some other people and come up with another power trail, as it were, of Adventure Labs. Mm -hmm. There's no reason why you can't do it, really. Yeah, maybe this will give you some ideas. Well, thank you guys, Ian and Kyle, for joining uh, On a Boat and KC11. Make sure that you follow that Facebook group, the Lincoln Highway Adventure Lab series, for any news and what's coming up. And, uh, yeah, hope you guys have a great event.
Well, the posted coordinates put me right here, and I gotta look for something. It's a four difficulty. Not in there. Guess I better not open that. Who knows what would come out of there? What in the world? Nothing. What do we got here? Just some loose wires. Nope, that's not it either. Well, doggone it, I ain't finding a thing. I'm gonna have to make me a phone a friend. Let's see, let's call Mr. Nate LeGree. Hey, Bob Billy, how you doing? I'm just out here doing some geocaching and catch. I'm over by the old water tower there in that sketchy neighborhood. I was wondering if you could help me out. Well, I, I remember it just published here not too long ago, but unfortunately I haven't been able to get out myself. But I've had to work from home. Uh, we've had to quarantine because of COVID. Uh, I just haven't been able to get out. Sorry, I can't help you more. Well, you have a good day and I'll, I'll see you later. All right. Thanks a lot, Bob. Take care. All right. You stay safe. All right. You too. Boy, I'm getting desperate now. What am I going to do? I really need to find that geocache. I got it. Hey, Alexa. Hello, Bob Billy. Can you help me find GC93B00? To find a lost object, stay calm and try to remember the last time you saw it. If you're feeling frustrated, try recruiting a friend or family member to help and turn the search into a game to make it more fun. You just might stumble across whatever it is you are looking for. That didn't help one bit.
Jesse, let me ask you a question. Why is geocaching great? Uh, it'd be pretty terrible if I didn't have an answer to this, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, this is one of those questions that, you know, anytime you're talking to somebody, you're selling geocaching. Um, I generally try to tell them it's, it's hard to explain why it's so great, but it's something for everyone. Right. Uh, geocaching, to me, I, you know, I have a certain part that I like. You have a certain part that you like. We've we've cached together and separate over the years. Um, but everybody has their own thing that they like, whether it's climbing mountains or solving puzzles or, you know, just sneaking around the mall and, yeah. and being stealthy and playing a game that nobody else realizes you're playing. Mm-hmm. There's it's a game for all abilities, all means. You know, you don't have to travel the continents like people that we've interviewed before. You can do it right around your town and. I think that's one of the most amazing things about the game is when you first get, when you very first get introduced to it, this mm-hmm. game that's been going on all around you for 20 years now. Yeah. You're like, I, I don't believe that this is happening in my town that I've lived in for 50 years and I didn't know about it. And sure enough, anytime somebody gets introduced to the game, there's usually one within a mile from where they're standing. It, it's hard. It's sometimes yeah. it's not obviously in some parts of the world, but um, so geocaching is a game that you can play by yourself with people. Mm-hmm in teams, spend all the money that you've ever earned or no money really at all, um, no matter what your ability is, Mm -hmm. and have fun from now until even if no new geocache were ever put out, you could play this game for the rest of your life and still never finish it. So it's a great game for everybody. And that's I think that's why it's um, one of the coolest things that I've ever been involved with. Mm -hmm. And it's a hobby that stuck for me for, I mean, over a decade now, right? So we're or quite a few ways in and I sure haven't gotten bored of it yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Good, good points. I mean, we've, you and I have been involved in it for, for a while now. We do a podcast on it. Mm-hmm. We have a whole network now of podcasts on it. We've written books on it. Mm-hmm. I got one right here just to show you life lessons of a geocacher. There's a shameless plug, but um, you know, there's something about it that, it is hard to explain to people sometimes Mm -hmm. they're like, I don't get it. You're going to go find something hidden. It's like, I try to thing I always try to use is if you watch a kid, at least in, 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 in the United States, I don't know how they do in other countries, but at least in the U S at Easter time, when you're a little kid, there's usually an Easter egg hunt. And if you ever watch kids find an Easter egg, piece of plastic typically with a little bit of candy in it but the joy in their faces when they find Mm -hmm. it because it's like oh you know it's that whole idea of it was hidden and i had to use my my wits my you know my my creativity to think about where it could be and i was able to find it and there's something about that that's magical that transcends all ages you know and and um, race, gender, creed, whatever you want to say, it it transcends all of it and is is a joy really for everybody. 